G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Well, as you know, we love to talk about marriage. And marriage, when we talk about a biblical context, certainly looks very different to some of the things we understand about marriage today. And, of course, marriage under attack in our Australian society. And so something we perhaps need to understand when we look at the biblical marriage, because oftentimes when we're looking for an understanding from the Bible, we're looking for a literary context. We're also looking for a cultural context. So we're going to talk through some cultural context today. Mandy Warby is joining us. As you know, Mandy and her husband Ian have been leading tours into Israel uh, for us here at UCB for a number of years now. And uh, Mandy's gained a great deal of great wisdom. And these days she's even called upon to do some seminars when it comes to this issue of marriage. So we're going to talk about Jewish marriage today. Hello, Mandy Warby. Welcome to 2020. Oh, it's nice to be here. I'm on I'm on 2020 with Neil Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether that's something to <laughs> boast about, but <laughs> Mandy, let's talk about Jewish marriage and we'll get it in a nutshell. And we'll try not to explain it all too much, but there are some s- certain processes in the Jewish marriage uh, which many listeners will note straight away as yeah. uh, an understanding of, of what we're talking about here in the overall, because we're talking about God's dealings with mankind. Sure. And so let's uh, let's go through what that Jewish marriage process is. Sure. There's all these in, incredible steps that just paint this amazing picture that, that I, as I go through these particular steps, scriptures are just going to come screaming out of your memory and you're going to go, oh, I know what that's referring to. So here we go. The process... It involves three people. There is the father, the groom, and the bride. And this takes place primarily to begin with in the bride's home. And this is the beginning. It's the ketubah, the betrothal, or the wedding contract. The groom goes to the house of his, hopefully, future bride and her father. He offers the marriage contract, and if the young lady accepts she will accept by drinking a glass of wine presented to her by her future husband. If the offer is sufficient and the father thinks that the offer is worthy of his daughter. So when you say offer, we're talking about a price here that the groom is bringing to pay to the father of the bride. That's right. Bride price. Okay. And Keep he going. thinks that this girl is so worthy and therefore he's going to give the best that he can. And then he provides gifts. Once the young woman has said yes and, and drunk the glass of wine, they are basically considered married, except no physical union yet. And so then the, the, the groom offers gifts to her, gifts that will remind her of him while they're separated because now they're not going to see each other now until it's time for the groom to get his wife for the wedding ceremony. And we could be talking here up to or more than a year, yeah, a separation that's time. That's right. It was it could have been, the average was one to two years, but yes, we're talking a long time. 
and so he would leave her with gifts to remind him, her of him and to help her in her preparations. And then he would go away. And the separation, as we said, would last, you know, a year, maybe two years. And during that time, the groom is at his father's home and he is building a home for his new wife. And it has to be just right. It's got to have everything that she needs in it to be a good wife, to do all the things that wives have to do. It's got to be beautiful. It has to be well prepared. And if somebody was to ask him, well, when's the big day? He's going to say, I actually, I don't know. Only my father knows. And the father is going to be watching and monitoring all the time. And then when he thinks everything is ready, then and only then will he say, go and get your bride. And in that Jewish cultural context, the groom would take his bride home to live in the father's house. Exactly. What's next? Well, then it's time to get the bride. But nobody actually knows. It's like a big surprise. And the groom and his attendants, they are going to make their their uh, way to the bride's home in a kind of like a thief in the night sort of thing. And he'll have a shofar. He'll have a trumpet with him. And it will give her just the briefest time to make sure that she's got everything ready. Because in the meantime, she's been making herself beautiful, getting her wedding gown, developing her own um, you know, requirements for being a good wife. She is making herself ready for her future groom. And then the trumpet blast blows and she knows and her attendants know he's here. The day has finally arrived and he will then come into the house. He will, he will sweep his beautiful bride off her feet and off they will go to the wedding chamber or the marriage chamber. And that is called the hoopah. And this has been made absolutely stunningly beautiful and inviting for the groom to bring his bride. And it's there that the marriage is then consummated. Now, the groom's attendants are outside and the guests for the wedding have arrived and they're all congregated and ready and waiting. And while it sounds like it's just a little bit intrusive to have the sudden news that consummation has taken place, what we fail to understand is that a miracle took place in the hoopah because two people went into that hoopah and one flesh remains. A miracle has happened where two have become one. And this is a matter of great rejoicing. The news is then taken, shared with the guests, where seven days of feasting and celebration take place. But while that seven days of feasting is taking place, the bride and the groom remain quietly separated by themselves away from all the hubbub, where they just enjoy one another. And then at the end of that seven days, the groom comes out with his beautiful bride, now unveiled, she was veiled before, and she is now presented to the community of his whole family and neighbourhood, and he, pres- he comes back triumphant with his bride. And in the story you tell there, Mandy Warby, it is so loaded with meaning. <laughs> we just... are going to have to leave every listener to our conversation now on tenterhooks uh, because we're coming back very shortly to talk about some of the meaning of what that's all about. Uh, a different uh, aspect of marriage to talk about today, Mandy Warby is our guest. We'll come back and talk some more shortly. 
Well, looking at a whole new different dimension of what you might have thought about marriage today, Mandy Warby, our guest, who's been with her husband, Ian, leading tours into Israel. Of course, our UCB tours, and there'll there'll no doubt be another one coming up uh, very soon, so you could get in touch with UCB about those. But Mandy's been leading some seminars where she's been talking about Jewish marriage. And uh, it's just so full of meaning. If you've missed our earlier segment where we talked about the process that a Jewish couple would have gone through to get married back in that time of the first century, uh, you might have missed something of a gem. But, Mandy, let's talk about what it all means, this segment. What does it mean that we went through those processes in a Jewish marriage? Sure. Well, we, we mentioned the betrothal. That's called the getuba, the wedding contract. And, and we're talking about how the, the groom would come to the father make an offer for this young woman that he's fallen and smittenly in love with and he would offer what he believes she is valued at. And so we, it's called a bride price. And we know that our Messiah, he, he has given everything. He's given his very life in order to win for himself the bride of his choosing. And and so I mean that that that's obvious. I mean, what a bride price! How extraordinary that his very blood, his his entire life, everything, giving up. He gave up gave up glory in heaven and became a pauper on earth. He gave up the glories of heaven to redeem us. Is that not that's just stunning, isn't it? And so we're illustrating uh, Jesus, the bridegroom, yeah. and us included in the bride, yeah. and the price that he was prepared to pay is his whole life. Mm. And of course, the price he paid was in his shed blood. He offered her the in the ancient ceremony. He offered her a glass of wine, okay. And if she accepted that wine and drank it, if she received that covenant, then she was accepting betrothal, which is exactly what our disciples did when the last supper happened, and and the Lord presented them with this glass of wine. This is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it. And they accepted that glass of wine. And then he, at the end of it, he said, I'm not drinking this now. I won't drink this again until I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom, which is the marriage supper of the lamb. He's the covenant in his blood. Okay, let's move on and talk about the place that the bridegroom goes to prepare for the bride. Well, he goes back to his father's home and he he then is building a home, a, a residence that ha, that is fitted out with his his future wife in 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 his mind. He wants it to be perfect. It's got to be beautiful. There's got to be somewhere for for meals, somewhere for privacy, somewhere for entertainment. This is a mansion. This is a beautiful home. As as much as he is able with what he's got available in his father's home, and it's all under his father's um, governing. He is monitoring and. When the father thinks it's right, then and only then will he allow his son to go and bring his bride. But before he actually even gets to that point, the groom, he leaves her gifts. And the the purpose of those gifts is to remind her of him. It's to keep her in her focus on preparations herself. He's providing her the means to get prepared and she will be making herself ready, beautiful, learning how to apply beautiful makeups and, and cosmetics and a beautiful wedding gown. She wants to be just perfect. She wants to present herself 
as perfect, spotless, without blemish, so that she is everything he has dreamed of. And our Father, our, our Messiah, excuse me, our beloved has left us the gift of his Holy Spirit, his word, the fruits of the Spirit, gifts that we need in order to become purified the way we're in readiness for that marriage. So there's been a time of separation, yep. and then at a appointed time, the father of the bridegroom gives the go-ahead for the bridegroom to go and to bring his bride home. Absolutely. And that's the thing, that the son doesn't know. You remember when the disciple said to him, son, what's going to be the, the, the sign of your coming? And he said, it's, it, he said, it's not for, for you to know. He said, even the son doesn't know, or the angels in heaven but only my father knows. And so when the time comes, when the father knows exactly the right time, and when that time happens, he's going to say, son, go get your bride. And when he does, the groom, our bridegroom, that that final trumpet is going to blow, and he's going to say, it's time to go get my bride. And in that moment when, you know, the rest of the world is not even aware of it, He's going to come and take his bride home. Now, when he arrives at the home of the bride, uh, he has in hand, you mentioned the shofar. So we're talking about a a trumpet. Uh, And in those days, uh, a horn used as a trumpet. So the, the trumpet sounds and the bridegroom is arriving. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, you're thinking of, um, you know, when that trumpet sounds and then the dead in Christ will rise and you know, be meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord at that final trumpet sound. Um, I mean, I mean, while while we're talking, all of these scriptures are just sort of jumping into my head. I imagine they're jumping into your yep. head as well. Yep. Um, and so, when when the, the bride, she's ready. She's got her stuff. Her attendants are with her. They're making their way to the um, the marriage tent, basically. And the guests are all gathering. There is a feast about to take place. It's the marriage supper. In our case, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that will be this most extraordinary time of union that we will have with our Messiah. Now, obviously, there is physical marriage, which is just a representation. We're talking about this most extraordinary spiritual union that we will have that we don't have now. We don't have that now. Boy, and, and I can't even, even imagine what that's going to be like. But one day it's waiting for us that this incredible union that we're going to have with our Messiah, our groom that we've been waiting for. Mandy, we don't often think of the prophetic aspects of what this marriage that we are involved in uh, actually has. And for most Aussies, we didn't do it the Jewish way. Uh, we did it the Aussie way. But in the Aussie way, there is still a whole bunch of great heritage that we do uh, actually incorporate it into our own weddings. And there is something very prophetic about that because it is the description of how God is bringing about redemption of mankind. You know, marriage is the most important relationship on the planet. It is the first relationship that God instituted in Eden between Adam and Eve. And it is the most under threat relationship on planet Earth today. And the reason it's so incredibly important is because it mirrors perfectly. It reflects to us what God wants for his relationship with mankind. I mean, we don't have time today, but... 
In the Old Covenant, there are numerous places in Scripture where God describes his people Israel as his bride, as his wife. He describes himself as Israel's husband. Why would he use that terminology? Why does he want to describe himself as a husband and Israel as his wife? Why did God want the church to be described as the bride of Christ and Christ the groom? Why that imagery? Why is that so important? Because it's reflective of God's intended relationship with humanity. And if that, that's why he hates divorce so much. Because if that, if the marriage relationship is severed, if it's disintegrated, if marriage can be made up of any combination of genders, if it can be anything you want it to be, then the image and the presentation that God has given us in his word of his relationship with humanity, it's broken, it's defiled and corrupted. And I think that's why it's under so much threat today. Mandy Warby, what a great set of insights today. Uh, So much appreciate hearing the story of the Jewish wedding and then uh, taking this past few minutes or so to unpack just some of that. And and I was, just like you said, those scriptures were all coming to mind. And I know for listeners too, they'll be thinking, you know what, I can can see that imagery in my mind as we talk about marriage and the way that this relationship is so perfectly reflective of God and his desired relationship with us. Uh, Mandy Warby, wonderful talking about this and let's get together on another day. Thanks so much for being with us on 2020. Thank you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.